with a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George. Welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Hey, welcome to After 9. I'm your host for this hour, Eric Allen, and my guest today is... Well, we're going to have Herb Martin in the studio with us and Dennis Loxton, who's uh, from Australia. He knows more about sheep than I know about my basement, I would think, and uh, sort of a, an expert on the subject. So we're going to be talking about sheep, sheep farming, sheep in the forest, uh, and whatever else we happen to get into. It's an interesting subject. Now, Dennis, being from Australia, of course, has an accent, so you want to really listen closely, because if you don't, you can miss stuff very easily. And he probably figures, oh, that guy talking right now, he's got such an accent, I can't understand him. So that's sort of the way it goes. So, Dennis, do you want to just uh, take off and give us kind of a your introduction to how we got here from there? Yeah, good morning. So I'm Dennis Loxton, and I can't help myself. Uh, I talk about sheep all the time. I must be some kind of fanatic. Um, so uh, I was in the Australian sheep industry um, up until I was 22, and uh, then we had some terrible droughts, and you just get sick of seeing dead sheep everywhere. And uh, I mean, we're talking about millions of them. And uh, so I was 22, decided to take a trip to Europe and stay away and, until it rained and the drought broke and then I could go home and continue on with my sheep. Uh, uh, my trade is wool classer. I'm a wool grader. And uh, what that means is I ran around in outback shearing sheds for about six years before coming to Canada. So anyway, I uh, came to Canada and um, ran into a friend who had a, a tree planting contract and they couldn't get anybody to plant trees. Uh, this was back in 1974. Um, they were, the government were just changing from government employees planting trees to start uh, where the forest company started to contract it out just to try that. So uh, four of us took a small contract, planted all the trees, uh, it worked, it was just basic farming, same as we were used to in Australia, um, and, uh, the cl- and off we went to Mexico, spent all the money, and you know, we were young fellas partying. Uh, the client uh, liked what we did, called us and said, come, we'll give you another contract, and this one was uh, in the Nass River, north of Terrace, and uh, there was an island in the Nass River, and we went and planted a portion of that island, about 100,000 trees between, I think, three or four of us. Um, and I'm really looking forward to, this is 1974, so I'm looking forward to going back and seeing how those trees are doing, because they should be absolutely beautiful by now. Um, meanwhile, when you're planting trees, uh, at first, um, it starts immediately after snow leaves, and uh, and so you're planting in bare ground, and suddenly all this stuff starts growing up. And it, for a guy that's just come from outback Australia, you cannot believe that there's so much beautiful, lush vegetation showing up all around you, uh, to the point where after a while you have trouble seeing the seedlings that you planted the day before. And um, the, you know, the whole time I'm looking at all this vegetation, going, "Wow, you could run a, a lot of sheep out here." And uh, I would share that with forestry guys, right? Ministry of Forest guys, and uh, 
everybody thought it was hilarious. Everybody laughed at me, and uh, and t- after a while, I just stopped talking about it. Um, it just, you know, I'd say, well, hang on, what's wrong with the idea? Look at all this amazing vegetation, and we found out the protein rate um, of the competing vegetation on plantations. It was way up there, almost as good as alfalfa, and you know, and it's infinite. I mean, we're talking about hundreds of thousands of hectares of absolutely prime vegetation. Then we found out later that they'd say, oh, those, uh, this is a, some years later, they'd say, oh, those plantations you planted last year, most of them died, you've got to redo them. Well, why'd they die? Well, competing vegetation, too much vegetation, too much grass. Well, to say that to a guy who's just seen millions of sheep starving to death, um, it, it just seems like, hang on, uh, too much grass, and yet you're laughing at me when I talk about sheep. And they'd say, Dennis, let's smarten up. You know about, you don't know anything about uh, bears. You know about koala bears in Australia, but you know if you run into a bloody grizzly bear and you're going to have, if you're sitting there with a thousand sheep, I mean you're in serious trouble. They'll put you out of business in three days, and that was a general feeling amongst foresters to the point where I actually stopped pursuing this. So anyway, after a while, I had two hundred tree planters, and um, you know, my wife, a Canadian wife, and I. And uh, my three fine sons grew up in tree planting camps. And um, I have a very strong belief that Canadian tree planters are unbelievably amazing. I mean, more or less work until they drop every day. Conditions are brutal. There's no free lunches out in a tree planting camp. Anyway, I had three, three crews of 70. And, uh, and wow, we did that for 17 years. It was wonderful. But... Um, Meanwhile, I couldn't help thinking about the sheep thing, just in case. Anyway, uh, some foresters uh, later, um, in 1991, uh, offered me three contracts to take um, to take sheep out bush. And each contract would need 1,200 sheep. So suddenly I had contracts for uh, 3,600 sheep. However, I didn't have any sheep. Um, so I think I invented rent-a-sheep. So uh, what it is, I researched who had all the sheep. Well, turns out the uh, best ones are in Alberta. Um, and so I often went to Alberta and toured around some sheep farms, and it turns out that Hutterite farmers had the best sheep, the most and the best sheep. So I didn't know anything about Hutterites. We don't have them in Australia. And uh, a guy at Wool Growers in Lethbridge, he, I said, you know, what about these Hutterites? How are they? And he goes, well, they haggle like crazy, but they're honest, and they keep their words. So if they say they're going to rent sheep to you, they really will, but get ready to haggle. Anyway, it turned out, so we'd haggle out a sheep rent, and I'd make a deal that these 3,600 sheep will arrive on these plantations in B.C., and uh, we signed contracts with the farmers, and uh, anyway, it worked. Um, they rented me, you know, th- three thousand six hundred of the best sheep in Canada. Uh, they were just perfect. And uh, um, the next year, uh, we upped it to six thousand sheep, and we so we had four projects of six uh, four projects of fifteen hundred sheep per project, and um, and we worked all over BC. Um, we actually did a lot, uh, a lot of work up near Stewart. Um, now, th- the trouble with working in Stewart is the grizzly bears and the timber wolves up there are absolutely bloody huge. And uh, um, 
it's a shock to run into them. I didn't know that grizzly bears got that big. And uh, I thought I had a clue about them, uh, you know, but when they show up, you just, um, my God, they're so huge and quick. And you, you start talking about a 1,000-pound bear. So anyway, what we had was guardian dogs that have been around guarding sheep for something like 10,000 years. And Canada already has excellent guardian dogs. In fact, Canada has excellent sheep guardian dogs and herding dogs and in fact they had everything we needed we didn't have to invent anything um, there was a, a, a Canadian had just started importing corral, sheep corral systems from New Zealand and they were the best in the world so we bought four sets of them and so we had four projects each project 1500 sheep eight guardian dogs per project four herding dogs so you've got a dozen dogs per project and a couple of spares so basically my family and I and our 13 shepherds were going out bush with 6,000 sheep 50 dogs and uh, well 13 shepherds every year and we did that we had 6,000 sheep out there for 16 consecutive years and it worked we saved millions of seedlings these plantations that were in, invited to work on were all environmentally sensitive. Um, the forest companies would have loved to have sprayed herbicide there, but they weren't. Herbicide wasn't a welcome option in those areas. Uh, environmental reasons, or First Nations didn't want that product near their land, um, and so. Uh, Business was great. Things were going great. The sheep got fat. They had more lambs than ever before because the protein rate of the uh, feed on the plantations was so amazing. Um, when it comes to selling, oh, sheep, by the way, have about 150% lamb crop. So if you've got 1,000 sheep and they suddenly have 1,500 lambs, and lambs in Canada are very, very expensive. Um, the best place, probably amongst the best places in the whole world to sell sheep, to sell fat lamb, uh, is Vancouver and Montreal, of all the places in the world. Uh, people think Canadians don't eat a lot of sheep, but in fact, uh, Canada has only been able to produce about 12 to 20 percent of their uh, sheep consumption, and the rest of it they rely on places like New Zealand and Australia uh, to fill up the rest of their needs. Um, anyway, I've, I cannot understand why, uh, why there aren't more sheep in Canada. And I'd try to ask sheep farmers about it and anybody that had some knowledge about sheep. And it always come down to the lack of predator-free summer grazing. So, for example, uh, um, well, there's a, uh, one sheep farmer family down in, a sheep farming family down in Vavenby, and they've been farming sheep for about 150 years, um, three or four generations. Uh, their sheep are fantastic, but their advantage is they have alpine grazing. So they've been uh, they winter them in the valley and then uh, and then uh, take them up in the summer uh, into the alpine. But nobody else can get alpine grazing rights. So there is a lack of summer grazing um, for the for the Canadian sheep industry. But then if you add all that abundance of vegetation on plantations. Uh, wow, we got more. Uh, well, in BC, uh, we've got more potential sheep uh, feed here than uh, all of South Australia. And um, so Australia had, when I left, they had 180 million sheep, and Canada had, I think, 800,000. So they didn't even have a million. 
And given that uh, they got a vegetation competition problem, they like, go, okay, hang on, guys, what's, uh, you know, something wrong with this picture? So a flock of 1,500 sheep, they can, <clears throat> what, how, how much... Uh how much of a clear cut can they cover? Um, every day, each flock would do four to five hectares. So in a 100-day grazing season, we'd get four or 500 hectares grazed. Um, generally, it only needed one pass. Uh, sometimes, as the vegetation was extremely dense, we'd do two passes. Now, these, uh, these plantations we're grazing, these are mainly spruce plantations, and um, they're so fertile. It, it, it's incredibly fertile. Like, the vegetation just takes off. But if you've got vegetation that takes off, say, six foot high and dense as can be, and you've got a little seedling that's only eight inches high uh, trying to compete with that, um, it, you know, you lose millions of seedlings, right? So uh, on those really high, uh, you know, really fertile valley bottom spruce sites, uh, yeah, sheep are perfect for it. And um, so they just show up, eat up all the vegetation, and the, and the seedlings take off. So, so uh, BC sprays about uh, <clears throat> ten to twelve thousand hectares every year with glyphosate. How many how many sheep would that roughly support? Oh, well, I don't know. Just uh, yeah, basically, <laughs> basically five hundred. You said break. for uh, five hundred uh, hectares for fifteen hundred uh, sheep. Yeah, for summer. Yeah. So, um, so you're, you're looking probably so. 1,500 times um, uh, 25. Okay. So that's... I'll, I'll go along with you since yeah, I haven't got any calculator. roughly, anyway. It's, it's a, a, lot of, a hell of a lot of sheep. Um, <laughs> they are spraying hundreds of thousands of hectares of yeah. prime sheep feed yeah. uh, all over Canada. Like this has gone on everywhere except Quebec, where they banned herbicide. Right. Um, the most common, most popular herbicide in uh, BC forestry is Roundup. Um, Roundup uh, is um, uh, it's getting some bad uh, uh, definitely uh, lots, for, lots, lots of bad press for sure and um, my attitude is that uh, Canadians are slow to anger but one of these days they'll go hang on forest industry what are you doing spring uh, all of this stuff all over our, well, all over our country yeah most most okay. people don't realize that uh, that uh, it's the taxpayer that pays for the glyphosate spring okay and before we get too far down yeah. the line here and i'm totally confused uh, i want to get some clarification so if i want to have these huge areas for sheep to keep down the vegetation, hmm. I have to clear-cut the forest, and the reason the vegetation grows so fast is because now that I cut down the forest and the sun shines on this, vegetation grows at the same time you're trying to plant trees. Yeah. So, firstly, by clear-cutting, I created the foliage problem, hmm. and then bring in the sheep to get rid of the foliage problem so the trees can grow. Hmm. Okay, so that's with my left and right hand. Now, I don't have another hand here, but somewhere in there, we have people who advocate um, selective logging. So what I want to know is how does the sheep scenario work with selective logging as opposed to clear-cutting? Oh, yeah. Yeah, very good question. Um, selective logging, I believe that Canada will eventually go towards selective logging as they start running out of trees. Um, 
uh, yeah, sheep don't work on selective logging. Um, just generally that they don't have the vegetation competition, so they, you know, the sunlight doesn't get through to the seedlings as much, and uh, the vegetation isn't as competitive. So um, I don't think that sheep are really needed uh, in selective logging, and I wouldn't be surprised if there's more of that in future, but right now they're just clear-cutting like crazy. Yeah. And... Uh, um, Canadian loggers are amazing. Like these guys, uh, they can put in a road absolutely anywhere and harvest it. And um, I, I was a logger way back, uh, setting chokers up in the Nass Valley on huge spruce trees, um, working with these loggers. Um, and then we've been interacting with them for the whole more or less 50 years I've been silvicultural contracting. And I just find them unbelievably amazing. Uh, these guys are hard workers and bloody tough guys. Eh? And there's, there's, like, it's a brutal job. And uh, anyway, these guys are doing it. Um, my only complaint is that uh, I believe that Canada uh, is logging too much. Okay, we're going to go to a breakdown, and then we'll get back and uh, get into this interesting conversation. Give your morning a boost with some sounds from above with Songs in the Chapel, Sunday mornings at 9 on 93.1 CFISFM. Join me, Corey Walker, as I fill the airwaves with the sounds of heavenly gospel music. I feature a mixture of traditional country, bluegrass, southern, and black gospel, and even a little bit of worship and contemporary Christian music. An inspiring message from the Salvation Army's Heartbeat series is featured in every show. Has songs in the chapel Sunday morning at 9, only here on 93.1 CFISFM. Eat healthy and fresh at Homesteader Meats. Founded by Ben and Rosella Clausen in 1982, Homesteader Meats has two premium quality meat and gluten-free products, plus Wednesday is Seniors Day at Homesteader Meats. Seniors 55 and over save 10% off regular prices. Single portions are available in most items, including pierogies and sausages, and are half-pound packages off ground beef, ground pork, stew meat, and meat pies. Everything from Erladen to Patties is at Homesteader Meats in two locations, College Heights and Park Hill Center. Are you thinking of selling your business? It's Dave Fuller here, a business coach and a business broker living right here in Prince George. The challenge of being a business owner is that much of our retirement funds are often tied up in the business. If you are getting ready to retire and sell your business, give me a call, 250-617-7467, and we can talk confidentially about how much your business might be worth and how you might be able to get that money out of the business and into your pocket. Again, Dave Fuller, 250-617-7467, or check out our website, pivotleader.com. At Pivot Leader, we help you grow, train, and sell your business. Forecast from Environment Canada, mainly sunny today. Winds from the north at 20 starting this afternoon at a high of 15. Tonight, clear. North winds coming light this evening, a low of minus one with frost. Sunday on Tuesday and a high of 17. Thank you for tuning in and staying tuned to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, we're back, and we're going to get in. Uh, Herb wants to do a little chatting about glyphosate spraying uh, verse, and the cost of that versus what it would cost to clear the same amount of uh, of uh, clear cut or whatever with with sheep. And I'm kind of interested in that too, because with the sheep, you you uh, you get the job of uh, of uh, you know taking off the foliage and that but you also have a secondary industry with the sheep and the and the sheep shearing and so you so you're sort of it's it's two jobs in one whereas spraying is just one job and when it's done they fly away anyway take it away Herb. 
Well, it's even worse than that because once you fly, fly away, they, they, uh, the effects of the glyphosate persist, and that's what we're just learning. So for, for years, uh, Monsanto told everyone that uh, you spray glyphosate on a forest uh, or an or a emerging forest, a plantation, and within days, its, it's work is done, and um, uh, you basically have uh, uh, no competition for the, your planted seedlings. However, uh, research up at UNBC has shown that um, the glyphosate, in fact, does persist in the environment. It, it, it's, it's been shown in cold soils to persist as long as four months with unknown effects in the soil. And it's been shown that uh, the, the trees that it uh, attacks but doesn't kill actually sequester the glyphosate within its tissues so that animals uh, will eat the um, uh, glyphosate-laden uh, trees uh, for years afterwards. So that that is just starting to be uh, investigated now. This is 40 years after we started spraying. So it doesn't actually even make sense because we're, we're spraying about 12,000 hectares a year the taxpayer pays for that roughly about 300 bucks a hectare once you include the cost of the glyphosate. And then the Ministry of Forests and its wisdom goes back and aerial sprays about half that number of hectares every year with fertilizer, which again costs over 300 bucks a hectare. Again, taxpayer pays. So you're, we're, we're, the taxpayer is getting uh, hosed twice uh, and you wind up with uh, potentially poisoned plantation, whereas uh, sheep farming, uh, you, it's organic, you're creating jobs, uh, you're creating, um, you know, uh, uh, enriched soils, uh, you're going to actually sequester carbon. Uh, it, there's, there's all sorts of, there's all sorts of benefits. Okay, so... <clears throat> Got a little note here says we have email on the phone with a bit of related info. So I'm not sure what that is, but are we ready to go ahead with that? All right. Yeah, say hi to him. Hi, Emil. Are you there? Hi. Hello. Uh, it's Emil. Yeah, I'm uh, a forester. I'm, I'm still an active forester, uh, and I've worked in about sixty percent of British Columbia. Oh yes. Um, I was a forest health forester in the East Kootenays for about 25 years dealing with a pine beetle and in Prince George for about 18 years dealing with silviculture. Um, so I'm familiar with your, what you're speaking with. And using sheep is something that we did try in the 1980s. Uh, we used it um, not extensively, but we did use it. Um, part of the reason that we couldn't use it extensively in the East Kootenays is because of... Uh, uh, insect, uh, worms, past parasites that um, domestic sheep could transfer to the wild sheep in the Rockies. Uh, so we had to limit where we um, use the, the sheep. Uh, and that's working with biologists and uh, national park uh, staff as well because they have the big orange sheep in the park. But where we could use the sheep, um, Revelstoke, they were used a little bit in the in East Kootenay area. Um, they did really good work, um, and you know, trying to keep them herded with uh, the dogs and with the shepherds took a lot of work, but it was something that was effective. And, excuse me, we did use it, but not extensively. Unfortunately, um, there's a group called the Savory Institute. I'm not sure you're, if you're familiar with them. Yes, I am. 
Yeah, they're a really good group of people, and um, I'm, I'm only familiar with their work, and I've spoken with them briefly, but using um, uh, sheep and cattle um, and grazing in forest lands when it's following a, a, a very intelligent um, moving regime is excellent. Likely uh, that it could be used more extensively on uh, forest fires in the central interior of BC as well instead of heavy equipment. But that would take some work with the Savory Institute people. Um, yeah, and regarding the glyphosate, there's um, a really excellent um, article from a lady, a uh, uh, Department of Biology in Finland, uh, Mario Haylander, called Glyphosate in Northern Ecosystems. And in it, she identifies the glyphosate changes to a product called AMPA, A-M-P-A. It's um, huge, two amino, it's a very large word. And it lasts in the soils for between one and two years, translocating through the forest and hitting non-target plants as well. The really harsh part, um, I, and there, I mean, herbicide has had a place until we started getting a lot of knowledge, but it, being used and discussed but the harsh part is is that the um, glyphosate roundup acts negatively of First Nations medicine and food plants were at least that 100 to 200 year period that is published information um, that as foresters some of us are aware of it however in the political environment they have different focuses, I guess, uh, and they can choose to um, direct foresters to use the, pe- use the pesticides, herbicides, insecticides. Um, and socially, many people do not understand or appreciate or have the time to understand or appreciate the harms for at least 100 years um, that are coming on. UNBC, Dr. Lisa Wood, is doing some really good research um, on glyphosate, and that's an important part of the puzzle, but getting politicians and getting people, just regular people, to understand that we do have other tools that can work well in many ecosystems, and some it's really, really difficult so I just thought I'd offer that as some comments because uh, I've been dealing with forestry for over 40 years and um, I've had to learn a lot myself and some of what I've been learning about glyphosate is very disturbing. Okay, that's great. Uh, Emil, are you retired now? Um, yes, I unfortunately had to uh, make the decision to the retire, but that's another story. Um, I am retired now. I'm a forester at this point, uh, maybe till the end of the year because it's expensive. Um, I have to see if I can get some other work in forestry, but if not, that's fine. Yeah, I might, uh, if I could, uh, I think we've got your phone number. I might like to get you on at a later date when we uh, maybe get some more information on this from you and your take on it, and, and perhaps even further down the road with Lisa Wood and the glyphosate thing. So maybe I can give you a call later. Yeah, right on. Sounds good. And, and the discussion using sheep um, in the Smithers area and up uh, further uh, west and north, it's an incredibly good tool in the right places. It is definitely a challenging way to go. It takes a lot of work. Um, but if there's support for it, 
it is a tool that can be very effective. And, and I suspect, that I haven't dove into this too much, but I suspect it could be something used effectively on, on some scale. Okay, well, we have to go to a break now, but I'll give you a call and we'll set something up in the future because uh, this is going to be with us for quite a while. And thanks for the topic, and uh, you got a great speaker. Take care. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. A membership in the BC Schizophrenia Society helps support families living with severe and persistent mental illnesses across the province. A BCSS membership provides you with access to members-only events and an opportunity to share your story to inspire others. Memberships also help the society maintain their not-for-profit status. Obtain your membership by this Friday and you'll be eligible to vote at the AGM on October 15th. Memberships and other details are available through the BC Schizophrenia Society's website at bcss.org. The Alzheimer's Society of BC is continuing in-person education with Making Activities Dementia Inclusive Wednesday, September 28th from 10 to noon at the Alzheimer's Society of BC Resource Centre. Discuss the benefits of meaningful activities and explore how different types of activities can be dementia-inclusive. To register, call the First Link Dementia Helpline at 1-800-936-6033. The Alzheimer's Society of BC's Making Activities Dementia Inclusive, Wednesday, September 28th from 10 to noon at the Resource Centre, 1811 Victoria Street. The Prince George Council of Seniors is taking reservations for advanced planning clinics. If you're 55 plus with an annual income or at least $150,000 in net assets, here's your chance to meet with a pro bono lawyer to have a will, power of attorney, and or representation agreement put into place. Clinics are being held in College Heights and downtown once each month through November 16th. Get your name on the intake list by calling toll-free 1-833-512-0665. BC Schizophrenia Society's annual general meeting is Saturday, October 15th. Save the date and take part to support the organization and its efforts to improve education and understanding of schizophrenia and psychosis across the province. Find out more about the Society's board through the board and staff link under About Us or become a member through the Make a Difference menu at bcss.org. The BC Schizophrenia Society AGM, Saturday, October 15th. A reason to hope, the means to cope. This is After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, we're back, and I'm going to go to Dennis now, and he wants to make a few uh, comments or observations on the speaker we just had that phoned in. And uh, go ahead, uh, Dennis. Yeah, that, uh, the speaker they called in was uh, Forrester and uh, very knowledgeable. He he covered all the right bases. Um, he's correct in everything he said. Um, he mentioned a, a, a grazing contract down in Revelstoke. Uh, yeah, that was me um, in 1991, I believe. Um, the issue of disease transference to wildlife and wild sheep is really important, and uh, I'd like to talk about that now. So uh, when they first put this industry together, they, um, this is the government, uh, they, they decided to impl- uh, implement a health protocol that's very, very strict. And uh, so all of the, they got, I think, a panel of something like six doctors, to, uh, you know, doctor of forestry, doctor of agriculture, whatever, uh, to put together this health protocol. And so all the sheep that went out into the forest were all foot-bathed uh, to make sure their feet didn't have foot rot. Uh, they were vaccinated against all kinds of uh, diseases. And um, and so I totally believe in that program. In fact, I think they went a little overboard with it. 
Um, but anyway, it's important. And uh, the disease transference issue to wildlife, uh, um, particularly uh, wild sheep, um, I believe it's real, and I respect uh, that the sheep uh, sheep veg- vegetation management industry should not encroach onto sensitive wildlife areas. Um, now, uh, the the diseases transferred to uh, to wild sheep are it's about mucus transfer. It's about them coming and kissing our sheep. Now it's very rare, but it can happen. And so, uh, Fish and Wildlife have uh, said, okay, if we see a, if we know of uh, wild sheep living here, do not bring your domestic sheep within fifty miles of that. And I think that's fair enough. In fact, uh, I was disappointed. Uh, I got this thing happening, sheep veg management happening in Alberta. Uh, a couple of years ago and then they offered me and it went well and uh, anyway then um, they offered me another contract the next year and I went out and uh, on the road lining up uh, going to visit farmers and um, arranging for a bunch of sheep anyway uh, suddenly Fish and Wildlife went wait wait no you can't bring sheep there Um, so suddenly I I wasted the money of driving around and visiting farmers for a month and uh, um, suddenly there's no contract and at that point, I thought, well, I'm getting old, and uh, it's, I've kind of had enough. <laughs> and uh, um, one of the things I've um, that needs mentioning is this industry of sheep veg management in BC got up to 50,000 sheep. This is about 10 years ago. That was its maximum. Now, um, so I was taking out 6,000 sheep every year. And um, but other guys that are, uh, yeah friends of mine that have worked for me over the years and this and that uh, also turned into contractors and they'd have a few thousand sheep here and there. Anyway, between us all, we're taking out fifty thousand sheep. Now, given that the biggest sheep farmer in BC um, has only has one thousand sheep, which he's had for hundred and fifty years. Um, <laughs> You know, suddenly 50,000 sheep grazing plantations in B.C. is a big deal. But what I find really interesting is very few people actually heard about it. And um, so I believe the forest industry, they could have promoted it a lot more, but I believe they weren't really interested. Uh, Their number one interest is spraying Roundup with a helicopter because it's the cheapest way of reducing the competing vegetation. And um, the uh, forest companies say that... um, Canadian government say this is safe, uh, and until they don't, the forest industry will continue spraying hundreds of thousands of hectares of uh, Roundup all over BC, in fact, all over Canada except for uh, Quebec. Um, Now, to me, I see, uh, I believe that eventually the forest industry will lose the right to spray herbicide. I believe that eventually the Canadians will anger and say, we've had enough of this. Um, the Canadian wildlife in the sprayed areas are not doing well. Um, I've had First Nations hunters come along saying, uh, "This, have you seen any moose out here? And uh, that this is their prime hunting area. They've been coming for generations. And I'd have to tell them, well, I've been here for three months. I haven't seen one moose or one moose track. And uh, there's a lot of that going on in B.C., uh, another thing that needs mentioning now is uh, the Americans, uh, way back in Alsea, Oregon, decided to uh, see what impact 
um, grazing domestic sheep on fur plantations in this case, um, what impact it had on wildlife. And what they found was it, it enhanced wildlife habitat and wildlife populations. What they found was after the sheep graze off an area, um, the, the vegetation isn't dead, it regrows, but it never gets to uh, a stage uh, to producing seed. Now, once a plant produces seed, all the protein is in the seed. There's not much left in the plant. It's only straw. Then the elk come along and eat it and try to get through winter. But if they eat something that's been grazed off and is regrown in high-protein fresh feed that's out of season, um, it turns out the elk... Uh, had, uh, had this high protein input at that time of year triggered more twinning they had more twins and they actually lived longer because of that shot of protein in the fall now uh, the Americans studied this for years and uh, the conclusion is that grazing sheep on Douglas fir plantations enhanced wildlife habitat okay so <clears throat> we're going for a break we're going to go for a break and we'll be right back the Alzheimer's Society of BC is continuing their series of online webinars. Everyone is encouraged to learn more about dementia and its stark impact on Canadians through their website, alzbc.org. While there, you can also register for their free webinars or watch previous presentations. The next webinar is entitled, What is Palliative Care? This Wednesday afternoon from 2 to 3. The Alzheimer's Society of BC, bringing you support and information for dementia at alzbc.org. Take part in the Great British Columbia Shakeout on October 20th. It's an annual opportunity to practice how to be safer during big earthquakes. Drop, cover, and hold on. The Shakeout has been organized to encourage you, your community, your school, or your organization to review and update emergency preparedness plans and supplies, and to secure your space in order to prevent damage and injuries. Get more information and register today by visiting shakeoutbc.ca. Advocate is busy preparing for their November Celebrate Life Gala and needs volunteers. Volunteer opportunities are available for community marketing drivers, event setup, registration, event night ushers, service assistants and attendants, plus takedown. If you'd like to help out, email Shannon at advocate.ca with your name, number, the volunteer area you're interested in, and that you're in Prince George. The Prince George Advocate Celebration of Life Gala is set for Thursday, November 3rd at the Civic Center. Forecast from Environment Canada, mainly sunny today. Wind from the north at 20 starting this afternoon at a high of 15. Tonight clear, north winds coming light this evening, a low of minus 1 with frost. Sunny on Tuesday and a high of 17. You're listening to After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, we're back and... Uh I'm finding this a rather interesting conversation, and and there's lots of uh, variables to it. Now, you know, I know this is a bit naive on my part, I suppose, but I would really like to see the uh, forest industry take the initiative on spraying and just stop it. You know, we all know that we shouldn't be doing it. Let's stop it. We do have an alternative here that may not be the best, but it's probably better than spraying. Plus, it, it looks like down the road, if it's handled property, if you've got forward-thinking people, you can use those sheep that are doing the uh, working in the forest. We could also to turn that into an industry and create jobs and a lot of jobs down the road. Now, I'm going to ask, uh, <coughs> excuse me, uh, Dennis here, how... 
the conflict or what sort of conflict we might run into between cattle raisers and sheep raisers. That seemed to be a big one in Texas a hundred years ago. But aside from that, that's one issue. The other one is a sideline is if you're out in the bush, and this is a tree farmer, sheep farmer, I guess, and you run into a grizzly, let's get some uh, background on what happens then. you want to fill us in, Dennis? Yeah, well, uh, yeah, a very interesting topic. What happens when the grizzly shows up? So I've explained there'll be 1,500 sheep, three shepherds, eight guardian dogs, and four herding dogs. Now, as herding dogs, we prefer the Australian Kelpies, which are, well, officially they're half dingo, but really everybody crossed them back to dingo. So they're three-quarter dingo. They're a really serious dog. And um, they're not... A, now, so, okay, so the grizzly bear shows up. Now, okay, I'm from Australia... Uh, my biggest bears I'd seen previous for the koala bears, uh, which eat leaves and they do not eat people. So uh, suddenly you've got a grizzly shows up. Now, uh, uh, it's absolutely bloody shocking. Uh, firstly, I think most people don't realize how big they are and how fast they are. But you take a thousand pound animal that can catch a gopher or nail a moose with one hit. Uh, you're talking about extremely powerful animal. Also, they can actually run down a quarter horse, which is the fastest horse over a short distance. So um, we're talking about a serious animal. And, uh, of course, no matter where you take sheep in B.C., it's in somebody's backyard. Some wolf lives there and uh, pissing on their corner tree and all that kind of thing. Uh, coyotes and cougars and black bear and timber wolves and grizzly bears. Now... You show up there with 1,500 sheep, and every animal in that area says, wow, smorgasbord, look at this. Uh, All you have to do is show up and eat sheep. So they do show up, and um, in fact, quite often, uh, out in McBride, we had black bears showing up, different ones, for 39 consecutive days. That's a lot of bears. Now, what it was, was we realized after we're on a wildlife trail from the valley bottom up to the alpine, so all these valley bears had to go right past our sheep. Anyway, the shepherds get so confident in the uh, abilities of the guardian dogs that they just see when the bear shows up, they st- they think it's hilarious. They think it's going to be entertaining, and, oh, let's see how, how long this one takes before he realizes that... There's funner, easier places to go and get a meal. Go and catch salmon or eat berries or something, but don't come and mess with our sheep because these six or eight guardian dogs, they have zero fear. Fear has been bred right out of them. Um, people don't realize that when you see these guardian dogs, they're just beautiful. They're big, fluffy guys and they're big tail waggers and love children and you know, they're just beautiful. And you, you can own one all your life and never see it get angry. But when they get angry, they just kick in the gear and instantly turn into lions. I mean, these things are absolutely vicious, and they have zero fear. They will not back down from a thousand-pound grizzly bear. They just don't care. They just uh, so they don't actually bite the bear, but they put on such they're such a hassle. The bear just says, oh, "I'm out of here. Go and catch salmon or something." Um, Anyway, yeah, we totally believe in the ability of our guardian dogs. Oh, also, when the uh, six or eight guardian dogs take after the bear, the other herding dogs get involved too. So there's a dozen dogs on that animal, and they just simply leave. Uh, nobody gets bitten. Um, in fact, over uh, a 17-year period, um, we've lost a total of 11 sheep 
to predators, to predators. Um, some to wolves. One was a big, cranky old grizzly bear. He's really old, and he just didn't care. And he just come in and killed five sheep one day, picked up one, walked away. Um, now, we don't shoot wildlife. We don't believe in it. Uh, and in this case of this grizzly bear, uh, you could see he wasn't going to leave. Um, and so we just uh, called in the trucks and relocated 100 miles away to another project. Um, so anyway... It is my opinion that with good guardian dogs, predation is almost non-existent on uh, sheep veg management projects in BC. Uh, that's a huge statement. I would have thought predation would be the uh, the reason it wouldn't work, and this is what most people um, reassured me is it won't work because of predators. Well, the sheep that we rented and took out bush, had they stayed home on the farmer's farm, uh, the neighbor's dog would have killed more than 11 over a 17-year period, um, or their local coyotes or whatever. So our sheep were actually safer in the plantation, up in places like Stewart, 100 miles from town, uh, or 100 kilometers from town, and uh, right in the middle of the uh, highest uh, wildlife populations, and meanwhile, predation was almost zero. Um, what I found... The issue with with it, the only thing that I can see wrong with it is people. Um, foresters, uh, corrupt uh, government agents, um, people that want to stop this, some of them may be uh, working for the herbicide company or some of them just may totally believe that herbicide is good for you and that uh, um, what... Uh, better fits the bottom line of the large forest company is the only thing of importance and um, and they believe it like they uh, also it's my opinion that some of these projects have been sabotaged by foresters um, and they'll blame, blame it on low bid or something but uh, you know sometimes their decisions were just ridiculous and uh, put the whole industry in a bad light um, for example uh, <clears throat> Okay, so I built a farm in Prince George, a thousand-acre farm. I bought a thousand of the best sheep I could get my hands on. Uh, we grew a thousand bales of hay, uh, which is, that's what it takes to winter a thousand sheep in Prince George. Um, the whole thing uh, worked really well, um, except the local forest companies. They gave us work some years, and then next year they said, oh, you've been outbid. Uh, so, we, oh, yeah, who outbid me? Well, it turns out in comes a... Uh, Albertan, uh, with six illegal Mexicans, and uh, that's how they outbid us. The first company was so happy with it that they uh, renewed that contract for six consecutive years. Um, on their second year, uh, the, for, uh, the contractor said, oh, um, I re regret I bid too low. I've got to up it to, to what Dennis's bid was. So here's this guy with, uh, for uh, six consecutive years, grazing sheep for a forest company right near my farm um, with six illegal Mexicans. Now, um, what I've always prided myself in doing is hiring Canadians and training the youth of Canada to be productive forest workers. And I'm overjoyed with... Uh, I've probably hired about well over a 1,000 Canadians in the last 50 years. Um, I've, I find them just amazing. The youth of Canada, uh, yeah, people uh, judge them harshly. Uh, they're sitting there plugged into their telephone all the time. Um, when they're out tree planting, these kids work till they drop, and the same as shepherds. Uh, I mean, Canadian shepherds were amazing. 
Good. Going to break? Okay, we're going to go for a break now, and uh, then we'll get back for the, the balance of the show. Thank you. If you are affected by dementia, you are not alone. The Alzheimer's Society of BC offers in-person and virtual support groups for caregivers and people living with early symptoms of dementia. Learn, laugh, and help others through mutual understanding. For a listing of upcoming support group meetings or more information, visit alzbc.org. Registration is also available through the First Link Dementia Helpline at 1-800-936-6033. In-person and virtual support groups from the Alzheimer's Society of BC. Cognitive care kits are available at the Prince George Public Library. Receive information and tips to help stimulate brain activity in people experiencing cognitive declines such as memory loss and Alzheimer's disease. There are nine kits in total, each unique and tailored to help people with different levels of cognitive decline. Training videos on the use of the kits are available through your public library YouTube channel. Cognitive care kits can be borrowed for up to three weeks at a time through your Prince George Public Library. The 30th Annual Antiques and Collectibles Fair is back this fall. October 1st and 2nd, check out a great variety of antiques and collectibles at the Roller Dole. Admission is just $5, $4 for seniors 65 plus and students. Children under 6 get in free. A weekend pass is $8. In support of the South Bowl Community Association, the 30th Annual Antiques and Collectibles Fair, Saturday, October 1st from 10 to 5, and Sunday, October 2nd from 10 to 4 at the Roller Dome. The Spruce City Lions Club has a Recycle for Sight collection box at the Senior Resource Center. Drop off no longer used prescription and non-prescription glasses, sunglasses, and readers, even if they're broken. Donated glasses will be cleaned, categorized by prescription, and prepared for distribution to people in developing countries. Used hearing aids are also being accepted. The Spruce City Lions Club Recycle for Sight collection box in the Senior Resource Center at the corner of 7th and Victoria. Keeping you up to date on current news and events in and around Prince George. This is After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, we're back with the saga of the sheep farmer. And uh, <laughs> there's a number of different issues on here. And I find this really interesting. And I think that with the forest industries, uh, the local government, provincial government, some degree federal government, <clears throat> I'd like to get maximum production and minimum cost Use, use the brain bank we have, but not 250 people to solve a problem when we can do it with five. But we know we have a serious problem of getting new industry to locate in the north central interior. We got 300,000 hectares, or 300,000 people, God knows how many hectares here of, uh, of land that's just basically lay in fallow. A lot of it we actually, uh, uh, grow hay and, and uh, bale it and send it to China and, uh, and it goes into their dairies there but we don't have a dairy industry here we do down on the coast but not here we used to have so we need to reinvent the north central interior and I can see this sheep situation as being part of getting that done but what I wanted to ask Dennis was uh, there's talk on and off for quite a number of years here of having a a slaughterhouse, probably in the Vanderhoof area or something. How would sheep farming on a large scale fit in with that slaughterhouse? Um, actually, yeah, there's a uh, a Hutterite farm 
up in Dawson Creek that built their own slaughterhouse. And it's all, I mean, it's beautiful. It's all stainless steel and government certified and everything. And I think they have uh, maybe a 1,000 sheep, so that means they probably have 1,500 lambs a year. They put them all through their own personal slaughterhouse. They grow their own hay. They graze uh, around uh, plantations around Dawson Creek. Um, And I don't know, like, they'll deliver uh, a fat lamb fresh off the plantation right to your home and you know it's cut and wrapped it's in a box now I haven't asked them how much that is but I bet it's uh, I bet you wouldn't get much change out of 500 bucks and um, or more now the other interesting thing is like I cannot see anything wrong with this industry after pursuing it for this long um, with the exception of the load bid process the contract award process it is my belief that when foresters when the forest industry lose herbicide which I see as inevitable um, at that point they're going to realize they haven't really got a lot uh, a lot of veg management tools available to them. They have brush saws and they have sheep. Once they lose herbicide, that's all they've got. They've got nothing else that works. Um, now, the plantations I grazed up in, or uh, well, I, I mean we, grazed up in Stuart, um, 6,000 sheep for five consecutive years, 100 kilometers from Stuart, um, those plantations were all doomed. There was, uh, in fact, the forest company were at the point where they were paying the tree planters to plant a six-foot, no, a four-foot stake beside every tree they planted. So you've got the tree planter, then coming behind the tree planter, you've got a, car- a guy with an axe carrying a big bundle of stakes. Uh, the expense of that was uh, pretty amazing. And then uh, when they found out that, no, we don't need stakes, we, we don't care, you know, uh, don't bother putting any more stakes up, the forest company was overjoyed. Now, uh, I eventually, after, the plan, after we'd grazed there for... Uh, five consecutive years um, suddenly I didn't have a contract but uh, a friend of mine got the contract to do the free to grow surveys on all the plantation we'd grazed in that area she offered me a job as a, it's called a plot monkey so I was a plot monkey measuring uh, free to grow doing free to grow surveys on the plantations that we'd grazed and they were unbelievable like talk about success these look like the most beautiful Christmas tree farm in the world like it was just amazing they just took off like crazy and uh, the fer- the lamb was so fertile and what it was is where the coastal vegetation where coastal weather meets interior vegetation uh, in a place like Stewart and it just uh, explodes in a six and eight foot high vegetation it's high in protein but sheep can just do the whole job okay, another thing that comes into it is slash loads People go, well, they wouldn't be able to go where there's logs everywhere. Well, sometimes we were sent into plantations that did have logs everywhere, and uh, they just uh, picked their way around it and and dealt with it. Um, Long and short of it is, I cannot see anything wrong with it. I believe the potential is huge. Um, You know, think of a number. Can BC have a a million sheep? Well, maybe. if the only thing limiting it is the amount of predator-free summer grazing, and if the guardian dogs take care of the predators, um, well, after that, what are the limits? Uh, just as, um, like, 
as the forestry need more of this, uh, they will start uh, being more generous and make this happen and be more cooperative. Right now, they're simply not. Uh, the industry, the sheep veg management industry of BC, has gone from 50,000 sheep per year down to 200. There were 200 out grazing in Prince George last year. And, uh, I mean, this year. So, uh, there it is, 200. Oh, well done, guys. Um, and... Uh, so anyway, they're cautiously proceeding, but I think they'll speed up when they lose herbicide. I think uh, they're going to. Dennis, I'd just like to toss in a couple of numbers here. Like New Zealand is about four times the size of uh, Vancouver Island. Uh, New Zealand has 27 million sheep. Yeah, I mean, there's 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 some size of the potential here, and if you look at uh, Sweden, Sweden banned the use of glyphosate in its forests in 1984. And the forest industry there actually makes uh, money. Uh, they have a lot of private land, and what they do is they uh, charge hunters $3 a pound for moose that they get on their forest lands. Mm -hmm. And by uh, uh, maintaining vegetation, uh, competing vegetation on their forest lands, they enable uh, 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 huge moose, po moose populations there, and it's a significant source of revenue for the forest industry there mm -hmm. so there's there's you know there's just there's so many ways that we can look at uh forests as opposed to just uh, uh you know conifer plantations that we treat like carrot patches mm -hmm. there's it, it's there's a multi-use uh, potential there that we're totally ignoring and uh and as a result uh, northern bc is only three hundred thousand people for, uh, for for the potential that we have it's it's astounding um, the uh, 50,000 sheep that were grazing on plantations in B.C., uh, they were all ewes. They all have lambs. Um, so they have their lambs. They keep them in Alberta and send us the sheep, the ewes. Um, anyway, the, that 50,000 sheep have, 50, have 70,000 lambs and market price uh, that's around about 20 million bucks. So uh, I don't see any reason why those sheep shouldn't be living in B.C. all, all winter and living here, uh, being farmed here. Yeah. Okay, we're going to go to wrap-up, which means everybody's going to get a, a little, very small <laughs> shot. I, I, you know, I, I'm not saying I haven't ate sheep. I ate more sheep in the last, or lamb, in the last couple of years that I have in my life. Uh, the problem I was having is, is finding mint to go with it. Now, you know, you could have a mint industry. A, a guy from the United States years ago tried to get it started here. Didn't work too well, but uh, anyway... Herb, and then Dennis, and we'll wrap up. No, we can't do it. We're wrapping up right now. The voice you're hearing <laughs> is the last you're going to hear until Friday. And thank so, you. So this is Eric, and I thank you very much for listening to the program. Thank my guest, Dennis Herb, for coming in and bailing us out, and Peter, who couldn't make it but tried hard. So thanks. After 9 is a weekday presentation of CFISFM. After 9 is produced by Alan Wishart, Eric Allen, Kylie Lewis-Holt, Trudy Clausen and Rez Krebs. Executive producer is Reg Fair with technical assistance from Stephen Smith. Theme music is by The Ebbs. For a rebroadcast of today's program, check out the podcast link at cfisfm.ca. To provide feedback or suggestions for the show, please email cfisfm at yahoo.ca. You're listening to CFISFM Prince George, a not-for-profit community radio station broadcasting with 500 watts of power at 93.1 on the FM dial. CFISFM is owned and operated by the Prince George Community Radio Society.